Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast. And you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. And this is Pat. (laughs) (laughs) You said the whole thing. (laughs) All right, let's try that again. Take two. Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast. And you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives. And this is Pat. (laughs) 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 Why aren't you at your post? (laughs) Cut, print, check the gate, moving on. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Thursday, January 6th, 2022. All right, so we are back, and once again, uh, the world is has come around and is right again. I have my good friend and co-pilot, Tom Howell, back here with me. Uh, Tom, welcome back. It has been far too long. I know you've been off cruising the globe uh, and relaxing, but I appreciate you joining me today to talk a little Star Wars. Yeah, it's a good thing I was able to update the nav computer because it was tough to kind of find the Jedi Temple archives again. It was uh, a bit of a struggle. It's been a long time, but as you know, I'm always happy to be here with you on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Well, it is, uh, it's one of the best things about being a Star Wars fan is when you got someone to share it with. And uh, I always get comments about the fact that we tend to work very well off of each other. Uh, certainly having done podcasts with other people, you know, not everyone knows when you come to a pause and you're expecting the person on the other end of the line to take over. And that is certainly one of the things that works out so well. Plus we have uh, different takes on a lot of things. And I think that variety is, is helpful as well. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. It was great to hear you with our good friends, Pat and Charles, on the most recent comeback episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Unfortunately, I was not able to join you for that. As you said, I was out on a little bit of vacation, but I'm just so happy to be back with you. Uh, We always have a lot of fun talking Star Wars, and I think today will be no different. I'm absolutely sure of that. And before we do get started, I do want to give a birthday shout out to Pat from the Conversations podcast. Uh, He is just a great guy a true Star Wars fan and always makes us laugh. So Pat, uh, here's to you. This episode's all for you, brother. And uh, hopefully you had a wonderful birthday. I know you did a little time at Disney yesterday uh, and hopefully it was everything that you could have hoped for for your birthday. 
Yeah, very happy birthday to Pat, one of our best friends in this whole community. And um, looking forward to getting the chance to get down there to Florida sometime, hopefully soon, and maybe have a delayed celebration with him and Charles, whose birthday is coming up pretty soon as well. Yeah, actually just uh, was talking with uh, Ro Gazga, who is kind of our red leader on the Red 5 Network, uh, host of the Scarif Podcast. And he was mentioning that he's got to go down there uh, for uh, some family business and found out that uh, down in St. Pete, they're going to be having a Comic-Con, so he may be meeting up with some members of the Red 5 Network, including uh, Charles, and I, I think Pat's working on Sunday, uh, but uh, if not, hopefully Pat can make it up there as well. So uh, we've got people coming together and, and enjoying a little uh, Comic-Con action down there in Florida this week. That'll be great. I'm sure a good time will be had by all whenever it works out. Absolutely. So, yeah, our main topic this week, and uh, don't want to delay anymore, we'll jump right into it. We were uh, wanting to talk a little bit of Book of Boba Fett, the new series that's out on Disney Plus, and has, uh, you know, it's been a little divisive. I think some people really are enjoying it. Other people are a little bit hard on it. Um, but I personally think that the first two episodes are off to a great start. Certainly episode one, uh, which we'll talk about first, was a little bit on the slower side, but I think that's understandable. I mean, we see Boba Fett come back in the Mandalorian and uh, a lot of people last time they saw him was diving into that Sarlacc pit after having his jetpack uh, hit by by Han Solo as he's kind of flailing around there on the the uh, skiff and um, it's one of those things if you're a Legends fan uh, you know that Boba, uh, Boba Fett survives that Sarlacc pit uh, debacle he's not slowly digested over a thousand years but uh, I think a lot of casual fans didn't realize he was still a part of the active Star Wars universe. Well, I mean, if you watch The Mandalorian, you saw him come back there. So, you know, at some point he had to escape the Sarlacc pit. And so I'm glad they delved right into that. I mean, we, I wasn't sure if they were going to, you know, kind of stretch it out and get to it at some point. But they got to it right off the bat. They're, they're like, look, this is what happened. This is how we got out of there. Um, yeah, the first episode was a lot of exposition, which I could see where some of the pacing might have felt a little slow to people, especially those who are fans of The Mandalorian and have been watching it for a good couple years now and kind of seeing what uh, how that show is developed and and now you get into this and you, you got to kind of find out how Boba got from where we last saw him in Return of the Jedi to where he you know is appeared in the Mandalorian and now has uh, gone on to this other series where he's now you know basically taken over Jabba's palace yeah and not only his palace but you know we always knew Boba Fett to be a bounty hunter and to see him come back and essentially start running his own crime family uh, is is a different twist for him. You know, even his father uh, as a bounty hunter, uh, certainly you thought that was going to be the family business. Everything you'd known about him up until this point was uh, related to being a bounty hunter. So uh, this is kind of uh, the first two episodes are really kind of uh, also explaining how he went from being a bounty hunter and why he maybe decided to make some changes. But we don't really get into most of that until episode two i think episode one i do agree that the the slower pacing laying in that backstory is kind of what had some negative comments coming from fans and it's one of the reasons i kind of wanted to wait until after episode two came out to review both episodes certainly it helped that uh that it worked out better that you were back from vacation and we could do this together which is the way i prefer it but uh i think it's it's appropriate to kind of re review these two episodes together and thankfully episode two uh was a little bit of a longer episode too, which I know is one thing that a lot of fans have been asking for. 
Yeah, I'm actually, I was a little surprised, especially, and I don't know if they would have done better. Like, you know, we've seen a couple of Marvel series that have dropped on Disney Plus recently, and they've dropped, like, when they weren't sure they would capture the viewer, um, get them to stick around if they just watched the first episode. They'd went ahead and dropped the first two episodes on the, uh, when it first came out on the, when it first debuted on the uh, platform. But, and so I, I don't know if it wouldn't have helped Star Wars, if it wouldn't help Lucasfilm, it wouldn't help the book of Boba Fett to have dropped those first two episodes together. Uh, but I, you know, I, I mean, I enjoyed it either way, but I just wondered for more of the casual fan, because um, I think you you got more into uh, what is going on with, with Boba and, and why he is the way he is now, which appears to be very much a changed person from, you know, the very limited... Uh, bits and pieces that we saw him within the original trilogy. Yeah, I think that's a great point that they really could have looked at releasing the first two episodes. You know, my first thought when you said that was that, you know, it's only supposed to be a seven episode series. Uh, and so releasing a couple episodes might have been uh, a little bit much, but they've done that with other short series that they've come out with. So there's really no reason they couldn't have. Uh, it must just be something uh, with regard to the the timing of everything and what they wanted to do with the series. But I do agree that it would have helped if they had released a couple episodes people could have jumped right into that second one um you know it was still there's slower parts to the second episode as well uh but i think that together the the pacing would have worked out a lot better yeah i just think it might have captured more because it's that that first episode was relatively short um and it was mostly flashback uh, you know that maybe you know having that extra added portion to it, make it a basically an extended episode, um, some more flashbacks, some more current day stuff, and just kind of fill in the gap of what would be the first two chapters of the book of Boba Fett. Absolutely. Yeah. So getting into some of the details of that first episode, uh, you know, certainly seeing Bubba escape the Sarlacc. I know in Legends, uh, he kind of had convinced the Sarlacc to constrict around his backpack or his jetpack and uh, cause that to explode, which is how he essentially got expelled from the Sarlacc pit. This one, a uh, little bit of a different take, you know, ripping open the, the esophagus essentially of the Sarlacc and uh, sending a gout of flamethrower juice right down its maw. Uh, gave it a really bad case of GERD, I guess, is how you get out of the Sarlacc in, in the new Star Wars universe. Yeah, I didn't have any Rolades in there for him <laughs> to help him out with that one. Uh, also interesting that, like, you know, it, it, he got really lucky, at least in the way they showed it in there, that there just happened to be a stormtrooper right. in there being digested over a thousand years as well. So um, who, kn who knows if he actually was able to survive if because there was no oxygen in there. He needed to get some sort of air, um, be able to unplug that, be, be smart enough, one, to know what to do, go over there, rip out that oxygen tube and, and get a little air. And that just in invigorated him just enough to be able to you know punch through the esophagus, as you said, uh, hit the flamethrower and I'm sure there was more that we didn't even see of how he fought his way out of the Sarlacc pit, which, uh, and by the way, very interesting. I feel that the first two episodes had a ton of symbolism. Oh, in absolutely. Each one. And, um, you know, the, the way he came out of that Sarlacc pit basically being rebirthed, mm -hmm. because I really believe we're seeing a different Boba Fett. So being rebirthed into this new being uh that we are becoming we're discovering now over these last couple episodes yeah it was very reminiscent of the uh uma thurman the bride from uh the kill bill series you know that hand punching through the soil and just 
clawing out out of sheer force of will uh, but it was definitely definitely symbolic of rebirth uh, and we get to see a lot of that with Boba uh, certainly within that first episode kind of the path that he took to get himself uh, to be accepted by the Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, I first and second episode, both of them, um, they had various different symbolic gestures, uh, various different uh, things that kind of just show that, you know, maybe he's looking back at his life and saying, maybe I wasn't doing things exactly how I should do them. Maybe I need to re-look re at um, how I approach people, how I approach friends, how I approach enemies around me. And and I, I think we're seeing a very different uh, Boba Fett so far. Yeah. And certainly with him having Fennec Shan by his side, uh, the Ming-Na Wen character that was really uh, one of the bright spots in season two of The Mandalorian, uh, you know, he's starting to realize that having someone there at his back uh, is a big advantage to him. And, and it's not something that he had in that previous life as a bounty hunter, uh, having that person that he could rely on. Yeah, but play, kind of playing the good cop, bad cop of uh, this uh, crime syndicate or whatever you want to call it. He says he's a crime lord, but I'm beginning to wonder if that's really what his goal is with this whole thing. But either way, it's you know it's it's pretty funny uh, banter between the two where she just seems to just want to take everybody out, and he's like, no, nope, no, nope, that's not how we do things now, Fennec. You know, but uh, working together very well for sure. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, I think that the use of uh, Boba's time in that back to pod that he's got up on the top floor of Jabba's palace, kind of in his personal chambers, as the means for most of his flashbacks is really uh, a process that's working well for the series at this point. Uh, certainly him being in that back to tank and healing up from all of the scarring that he got uh, is not only going to benefit his character, but I've got to believe that Tamara Morrison uh, is going to be happier as time goes on in this series that he's not going to be spending quite so many hours in the makeup chair. Oh, yeah, for sure, especially as you see him in some of those scenes early on when he's uh, taken by the Tuscans and everything where the uh, the Sarlaccs digestive acids have eaten away and then the sun is burnt away at his skin and he's just a just a wreck but you know again symbolism the back to tank you know the healing um and the going through this is i feel like you know one of the things that has driven that we've known has driven boba fett was you know from you know losing his father how yeah. angry he was at losing Django, you know, in the uh, the prequel trilogy there in Attack of the Clones, and we saw it in the Clone Wars. If you haven't watched the Clone Wars, watch the Clone Wars. <laughs> Obligatory plug. Yes. Um, you know, we see him so angry at the Jedi, so angry at Mace Windu trying to get back. And, and the back to tank, yes, healing him physically, but I kind of feel like it's healing him emotionally of getting past all this anger, all this resentment that he's had in his body and, and in his mind for all these years. And again, I, I'm going to keep going back to this theme, if you haven't heard it already, becoming a new Boba Fett. Yeah, and not only becoming a new Boba Fett, but, you know, kind of dealing uh, with some of that psychological trauma that he's undergone. I do agree, you know, one of the things you get to see in the Clone Wars is that, uh, you know, he clearly has uh, some very serious memories of Jango being killed by Mace Windu there in the arena on Geonosis, but he kind of... Uh, 
comes to an acceptance, you know, he, he's got it out for Mace Windu. He wants to kill him pretty badly within the Clone Wars and finally gets to the point where he realizes that, uh, you know, that's that's not going to actually bring his father back and um, that, you know, he, his father had kind of put Mace Windu in a position where he really didn't have a choice within that particular scenario. So, uh, you know, he, he's dealt with some of that stuff in the past in the Clone Wars when he was quite young, uh, but I think there's still uh, some scenes and certain certainly more of them in, uh, in episode two, uh, where we kind of see him addressing some of those issues with Django, but, uh, you know, he's definitely becoming a new man, uh, both psychologically as well as physically. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and again, I, I just, I find it interesting and, and, um, the way they put this whole thing together and, symbolically to place him in the back to tank healing and um, working to kind of break these binds, uh, these chains, these, these ropes that are keeping him together when as the, as the Tuscans take him um, breaking those um, fighting the monster, uh, which basically to me symbolized the monster that was inside him and uh, taking him out. And you see him, um, you know, after he beats him kind of rise of the sun, rising behind him and glowing to like almost I've beaten, I've taken out this monster to become this different person. I, I find it. And maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Mm-hmm. Kind of the way I like to do things. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've found it fascinating to watch. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that you get to see, and it's, I think it's, uh, not iconic really, but, uh, it's interesting to see how, you know, once he escapes the Sarlacc, he is just completely spent passes out. Uh, it just shows the sheer willpower it took for him to make that escape. And, uh, while he's passed out there in the sand, you see the Jawas come and strip him of his Mandalorian armor, uh, which then dovetails really nicely into how we see Cobb Vanth find that within the sand crawler, uh, of those same Jawas, uh, as kind of one of the flashbacks we saw in the Mandalorian season two yeah i mean we kind of had to explain it. it you know we saw him leave the sarlacc with his armor so how do these jawas get it and Cobb vanth eventually uh, end up with it well uh, now you know he just they just kind of stripped it from him as he was passed out and when he started to wake up we're going to take you back out again. <laughs> You're not getting this armor. We're taking this armor. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing, uh, we don't really get to see a whole lot of the the lifestyle or the uh, the living arrangements of the Tusken Raiders within much of the OT. Uh, we do get to see a little bit of it in the prequel trilogy uh, when Anakin kind of goes uh, hog ass on, on the groups of Tusken Raiders that have taken Shmi Skywalker, but uh, it was uh, it's kind of a, a scenario where they're filling in some gaps in terms of the Tuscans and kind of making you respect them as uh, individuals as opposed to just this mindless group of savages out roaming the Dune Sea. It's one of the things I've loved the most, most both about the Mandalorian and now they've extended it into the book of Boba Fett is that, yeah, when we, when you seen the Tuscans before, you've just thought that they're this kind of this mindless group of beings that roam the desert and they're just looking to uh, wreak havoc on the people of Tatooine. But uh, now you're finding out that they have this whole you know, history, this whole uh, culture behind them. And, you know, and of course it, it's very much uh, Western, both the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett seems to be that way as well. Um, tying in the Native American uh, feeling with them and, and, you know, giving you a peek into them. And I mean, I know they're not human, but basically humanizing the Tusken Raiders. 
Yeah, and I think that's important for the development of these these episodes particularly. And, you know, you have to kind of understand the Tuscans to understand what is going on with Boba, both while he's in captivity and then as we get into episode two, kind of as he becomes more uh, an extended member of the clan. But certainly within episode one, uh, one of the things that jumped out about uh, out to me once he'd been stripped of his armor is that his jumpsuit uh, kind of looked like a prison jumpsuit in a lot of ways. And uh, that's really kind of symbolic for his uh, start with the Tuscans. He is very much a prisoner. Uh, they treat him uh, fairly brutally. I mean, they've got the children beating him with their uh, young kids version of the gaffy sticks. And, uh, you know, they, they've got the massives out there, the, the crocodile dog things uh, that we did see in the Mandalorian. And, and now they brought back for um, the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, they basically have him living like an animal and they actually treat the massives better than they treat their prisoners. Yeah. I mean, they, I basically, they're just there to do labor, to dig up the, these water shells, whatever. They, I don't know Black if you know, pearls, the name of them, I think but, they're calling them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, digging those things up, you know, doing the labor for them and pretty much expendable. So they just, they, there's no reason to really treat them with respect, but uh, obviously, um, Boba's a little different, and he's uh, working to earn their respect and, and did a pretty darn good job of it. Yeah, I, I do love the fact that his fellow prisoner, the Rodian that's kind of staked out there next to him, was willing to sell him out on a dime uh, when he tries to make his escape. Uh, he even offers to, to set the Rodian free with him, and the Rodian just basically raises the alarm and the Tuscans chase down Boba. Yeah, and then later on, he, he's telling him, like, hey, you know, if you hadn't sounded the alarm, we'd be free. We'd be at Anchorage <laughs> getting a flight out of here right now. What are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, uh, but some, many of you may have heard this already, but if you haven't, um, the person who voices the Rodian in that first episode is Sam Witwer, who oh, nice. you may know as Maul. Maul yeah. from the uh, so, yeah, yeah. From Just the a little bit series. part, but really nice to... to get give him a little bit of a uh presence within the first episode of the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, that is always one of the fun things to do is to kind of pay attention to the credits. <clears throat> excuse me, pay attention to the credits at the end of the episode because uh you'd be surprised at some of the people that voice some of these characters. Uh certainly Favreau's famous for doing that uh in a lot of his films either either voicing characters or actually putting himself in there in key roles, uh, kind of think happy Hogan and the, uh, the Iron Man films. And, uh, you know, we were just watching elf over the holiday season and he gets to be the doctor, the family doctor and elf there. So he loves to make his cameos, uh, vocally as well as in person. And, uh, we see the same thing happening a lot, uh, in these series and it's great. It's, it's just a testament to how well, um, if you're part of that star Wars family as an actor or a voice actor or whatnot, how well, well they treat you and how you are always kind of brought back. Warwick Davis is uh, probably one of the best examples of that. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't hurt. You know, Filoni's there too. And, <laughs> and you know, Sam gets on the phone with Filoni. He's like, Hey, I did all this great work for you in Clone Wars and in Rebels. You got a little bit of a part for me. I kind of want to be a part of this new series you got coming out. And he's like, Oh, sure. Come on over. We got something. You'll be a Rodian. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we kind of get into the episode, as you pointed out, um, 
when he does uh, when he does make his escape, they do track him down, and uh, there's this black robed uh, Tuscan that is not something we've really seen. They tend to go more with the earth tones. We're certainly getting a lot more variety within the the Tuscan costuming, I think, within this series. Uh, but it really jumps out that you've got this Tuscan warrior who's incredibly fierce and just kind of beats the heck out of Boba Fett, uh, which is something that kind of surprised me a little bit in that first episode. He kind of gets it handed to him on several different occasions, uh, and that's not really what you expect to see from Boba. I'm sure Boba's a bit weakened by this all, but he also may be, look, you know, I'm not going to, I'm in a bad spot here. Uh, I'm going to fight for to try and earn respect, but at the same point, I'm not going to go overboard with this. Uh, I believe that character might be female, actually, you which are, is really interesting. Yeah, and, you're absolutely right. Uh, and you, you see that character in episode two and some of the things um, she pulls off. And I'm wondering if there's a little more behind her that is going to be discovered at some point later on. I'm really, really intrigued by that character for sure. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna hold off on addressing that until we start talking about episode two, but I have some thoughts along those lines as well, uh, just thematically. And uh, so make sure that I bring that up if, if I forget it, which I'm prone to do. Sure. But, uh, you know, certainly as, as we also kind of get to see as the Tuscans, as you mentioned, uh, kind of put them to work on behalf of the tribe and they're out there digging up these pearls that that have the water or the the milk in them actually uh for the uh for the tribe to drink um they are as again as we mentioned they are treated like animals they're just pure slave labor uh but uh we kind of get to the the end of the episode and all of a sudden we see a completely new creature we've never seen before that kind of rises from the sand uh and that is the the point where Boba really makes his stand. He decides that he is going to save this Tuscan that's got them out there hunting for these pearls, uh, tries to save the roadie, and that doesn't quite go so well. Uh, and I, I remember there was a Wilhelm scream, but that was uh, that's more kind of in the current day uh, in Moss Aspa. So, uh, you know, what did you think of that creature? I, I don't think we have a name for it yet. For me, the first thing I thought was it looked like um, the Kraken from uh, Wrath of the Titans, the newer version. Right. It reminds me very much of some of the old uh, Sinbad movies, uh, some of the old claymation uh, creatures that you would see. And I, I kind of got to believe it was a, an homage to that kind of uh, creature because it wasn't as 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 well done as some of the effects. We've seen them do creatures before in The Mandalorian and, you know, and it's been more CG. This seemed more stop motion almost. I'm sure it was still CG, but it, they made it look a specific way. And um, I, I found it fascinating. I kind of loved how that creature, it would, you know, it could also, it could fight with four arms and stand on two legs, but it could also drop those middle legs down and walk around like a, some sort of um, horse type, creature you know it was very uh, mythological in many ways and I, I again it's a new creature we've never seen before in star wars which is always interesting too yeah i completely agree when i saw that when i saw that claw i thought maybe it was a young crate dragon uh 
which was my initial impression, but certainly could not have been further from the truth. It's it's a completely new creature. Uh, I agree, you know, maybe not done as well as some of the new creatures they've done in the show, but uh, there's a lot of symbolism there as well to the fact that, you know, Boba ends up strangling uh, that creature much like Leia had uh, strangled Jabba uh, to gain her freedom. So uh, in both cases, it was uh, pretty much the same result. They they both essentially gained their freedom uh, and, and uh took out a, a kind of a overpowered baddie. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Right before that happened, because um, I, I watched it a second time, last the first episode for a second time last night, and I didn't know this the first time, but watching it again, uh, you hear Boba tell the Rodian, you know, if I could, I'd go over there and wrap these chains around you right. around your neck and like pop off your head or something along, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but something along those lines, and boom, he does the exact same thing, but to a much more treacherous uh, foe that he had to go against. Absolutely. Yeah, so you know that that's kind of uh, what brings us to the current period of episode two from the standpoint of his his time with the Tuscans. Other than you know when he gets back uh, and the Tuscan Raider shows that you know Boba has taken out this creature and saved his life, and I think that begins the uh, the task of the Tuscans kind of starting to ex- accept him into the tribe. But at the same time, we also have uh, the current time period. So those are the backflashes really in the current time period. Boba is also kind of recreating himself uh, through his his taking on of the role of uh, the replacement for Jabba uh, within the crime syndicate and kind of forging his relationship with the people of Mos Espa. And we get to see a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the individuals presenting themselves to him and kind of paying homage to him. And, uh, not in all cases exactly what you would expect. Yeah, I, I kind of find it, it's become a running joke now into the second episode of how, you know, he doesn't want to show up on a litter, uh, you know, being carried in by a bunch of uh, servant people, you know, or whatever, as the leaders, the crime lords in the past have done. And so now it's kind of this running joke of like, oh, I, I, I didn't know you were here. I didn't, I didn't see your litter come in, you know, or whatever. And it's, 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 it's pretty hilarious to watch, but it's just another step of showing he's going to do things in a different way here. You know, he doesn't need, you know, people, you know, fawning over him, carrying him around uh, like he's something super special. I'm going to walk on my own two feet uh, to do this. Absolutely. And uh, the other kind of running joke that they've got going on in the current timeline is the two Gamorrean guards that had served Jabba and served uh, Bib Fortuna or uh, Blob Fortuna, as I, I know a lot of people had jokingly called him. But uh, these two guys are just absolute dad bod Gamorian uh, warriors, right? So uh, we get to see them kind of tailing Boba around. Uh, I know there was a big outcry about where the heck did they go uh, when he gets jumped by the uh, gang of street thugs uh, kind of later in episode one, and they encircle he and Fennec, Fennec Shand, and they've got kind of the uh, the force shields and their, uh, and their pikes that they're using to harass Boba and, and essentially try to take him out. Yeah, I think didn't they get offered when they walk in there? And again, I just watched the episode. And they walk, <laughs> yes. do, you know, do you like us to take your Gamorrean guards and go wash them down? Can I, or yeah, can like I feed and water down so, your guards? Hey, that must have been. I assume that's where they were. They were getting a good scrub down somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, they stepped right in, and it was a good thing, you know. Obviously, that Boba spared their lives, which might not have. I mean, we know it wouldn't have happened with Jabba. Probably wouldn't have happened with. 
bib blob for tuna, right. you know? So <laughs> obviously the respect he's showing already is, is, is paying dividends. Yeah. And, uh, I, I did find it funny in episode one that, uh, as, as Boba and uh, Fennec Shand are kind of fighting off these people that are attacking them. Finally, the Gamorreans do kind of come in and, and break contain on them. And uh, a couple of the uh, assassins get, get away and are chased down by Fennec Shand. But we finally have the introduction of parkour to Star Wars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had the exact same thought as soon as I see it. They're like, they're, you know, jumping through across these buildings and over these uh, pillars and stuff and just kind of hopping from spot to spot. And I'm like, oh, I've seen those in movies. I think it was kind of a more of a, I don't know, maybe a five, six, seven year old thing. But, you know, hey, we got to bring it into Star Wars. It makes sense with those uh, those dwellings being so close together there. I did see a, I did see a comment today on social media where, or not on social media, but in an article where someone had said, uh, they must be keeping Jennifer Beals in a back to tank because she does not look like she's aged a day since Flashdance. So uh, her character, Madame Garza, who's kind of running that cantina that Boa keeps going back to, uh, certainly has been uh, you know an eye-catching uh, figure within this series. And certainly Jennifer Beals uh, has has kind of cemented her place in Star Wars with her Twi'lek. Um, I don't even want know what you want to call it. It seems like it's more than a cantina. Cantina gambling den, uh, apparently Gamorian guard wash. Yeah, <laughs> helmet buffer. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, every time she's on the screen, and it's been for short times. I know a lot of people are like, "Hey, we want some more of her." And I think you're right. going to get a lot more of her. But when she's on the screen, you, you, she catches your eye. You know, you like, we need to pay attention to this one every time on there. And yeah, uh, she looks fantastic. Um, obviously, it's she. She appears to be playing a key role, and I'm looking forward to finding out more of her story as well. I absolutely agree. I, I did think that it was uh, interesting as well that uh, kind of as the the townspeople were coming in and paying homage to uh, to Boba Fett, one of the uh, one of the individuals that showed up was a Trandoshan, uh, and he was carrying what looked to me clearly like a Wookiee pelt. Uh, and there's a lot of symbolism there, both with the Trandoshans loving to hunt Wookiees kind of as uh, one of the most challenging versions of sport for them, as well as the fact that, you know, the braid on Boba's armor uh, that we see within the original trilogy was made of braided Wookiee hair. So uh, that was, uh, you know, I don't know if that was meant to be that particular tie-in, but it certainly had some symbolism for both characters. Yeah, well, I mean, he said right off the bat, Boba said, I used to work for this guy. Right. You know, it's, and so uh, obviously they know each other somewhat. So he, he would know uh, what Boba, you know, at least Boba of the past might be looking for as tribute, per sure. se. Uh, so that it totally makes sense. So anything else from uh, episode one that jumped out at you that you want to that you want to bring up? No, I think I touched on most everything that I can think of from episode one. I, you know, I, I think it closed out purposefully with uh, the uh, Tuscan chief. You know, it's funny because you know after the the he beats this monster, the the young Tuscan comes back with the head of the monster right. and almost <laughs> looks like he was claiming like, ah, "Look what I did," <laughs> you know. But meanwhile, the chief's like, "Yeah, I know better than that. Here, yeah, I know what you did. Thank you." And he passes over the, uh, you know shell milk water thing whatever it is yeah. um to, to and to, that was the first like yep 
uh, we're going to show you some respect here and thank you for what you did. Yeah, they're they're making fairly offhand references to it uh, throughout the first two episodes. So it's it's uh, I think the the references to the uh, the black pearl and the milk uh, mostly have been things I've seen in some write ups of the episode. But uh, I know that they've they've addressed it a couple times. It's just kind of been passing. So uh, jumping mm-hmm. on to episode two now, I think this this episode is the one that really shined for me. Uh, you get a little bit of a look at what's going on in the current time period, but there is a much longer extended period of Boba kind of having flashbacks in the back to tank. And uh, of course you get the obligatory train heist episode uh, that seems to come up so often in really all types of series, but certainly within Star Wars with uh, its Western roots uh, and some of the samurai roots as well. Um, it's just interesting to kind of see how they work that in with that that bullet train kind of crossing the uh, the Dune Sea. Interesting when the train shows up because it sounded like when I, when I first heard it, mm-hmm. it sounded like uh, the whale of a crate dragon, you know. Yes. And I was like, oh, they're going to be showing that there's a crate dragon around. We know that there's a, a history between the Tuscans and the crate dragons there on Tatooine. So, and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, that doesn't look like a crate dragon. What is this? You know. And then eventually it comes closer. And like, oh, it's some sort of strange desert train you know? right right um but uh yeah I, yeah exactly this is a western uh why not you gotta go and definitely pull off that heist on a train at some point uh we also kind of get some great callbacks right off the bat in this episode with uh fennec bringing one of those assassins that she had finally tracked down back to jabba's palace to face boba in the throne room and uh we get an iconic shot really as that main gate lifts up uh, to admit her and her prisoner in. That is the exact same shot we get uh, both with C-3PO and R2-D2 in Return of the Jedi as well as later on in that film when Luke comes to uh, track down Jabba and make his offer in person. Yeah, good to know that giant door is still going strong <laughs> and people still know, can figure out how to dodge the holes there that have to have those teeth of the door go into it. Right, right. Man, you, you turn you turn and look and start doing a conversation with somebody. You step the wrong way, and you're going to fall like three, four feet into this, into these gaps in the in the doorway. But, yeah, it seems uh, yeah, like an OSHA violation. Iconic shot for sure. Yeah, it definitely seems like an OSHA violation. It's just a leg injury waiting to happen, and I'm always looking out for things like that personally. So for sure, you should be. Yeah, no stairs there, so you're okay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we also get some other great callbacks early on in that episode. Uh, you know, the the assassin refuses to answer the question about who sent him. So so uh, Fennec reaches over and and opens the trap door and plummets him into the Rancor pit, which, uh, you know, I don't know about you. We, we did get to see within the Bad Batch uh, that they did procure a new young Rancor uh, for Jabba named Muchi. And uh, there was some thought, especially with Fennec's comment in uh, episode one about Jabba's menagerie, that there may have been other creatures that they could have unleashed uh, into that pit. But uh, just the sheer terror of knowing that that is one of the things that Jabba does to his um, unfortunate victims, I would say, uh, was enough to get this uh, hardened assassin to crack and give up what may be the wrong uh, person that hired him. Right. And obviously, you know, because you saw him with the the guard there with the the blade at his neck. And obviously this assassin didn't feel 
threatened enough at that point. Like, I don't feel like you're going to do this. I don't, I don't buy into it. But as soon as he drops into what he knows is the rancor pit, you know, he was, uh, he, he was ready to give it up pretty quickly, <laughs> even though obviously there was nothing in there. Cause we know what happened to the rancor. There was something in there though, that uh, tattoo rat, right. I think they're called, yes. right? Yes. The fierce, the fierce rats of Tatooine. So, uh, which again, we'll we'll get to that. There's a later appearance by one of them that is uh, pretty hilarious in this episode. Uh, but certainly, you know, once they once they get the name of the mayor who is uh, who the assassin claims sent him, uh, of course, Boba and Fennec suit up and head down to have a little chat with the mayor, uh, who was also the individual who did not send. Uh, any kind of tribute to Boba Fett in episode one. Uh, so he's kind of got twofold reason to go and talk to the mayor and kind of find out what's going on, why he is not accepting Boba as the replacement for Jabba. And we get to find out that this uh, this mayor is an Ithorian, uh, one of the hammerhead species that we see all the way back in the original trilogy. Uh, and I did get a little chuckle. I don't know if you noticed it, but you know, the old saying, talking out both sides of your mouth. Uh, and the <laughs> Ithorians certainly have their mouth kind of mounted on the side of the their neck. So I thought that was an appropriate thing for a politician, right? Uh, basically saying, yeah. saying whatever he'll say to get himself out of trouble. Makes total sense to me. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, Boba would buy into the fact that this could be the guy because, you know, when the major domo came over uh, to, you know, what Boba thought was going to be, give him tribute. And, you know, the, the other guy thought he was getting tribute for the mayor. Uh, he kind of had a not so veiled threat of that. You may see, you know, some sort of other group that's going to pay you a visit at some point. So obviously that the, he would feel, oh, yeah, okay. Maybe this was the guy who set these, these assassins on me, but uh, maybe not. Who knows? I mean, it's really hard to tell. I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there right now, a lot of creatures out there vying for power, not really feeling that Bob is going to stick in this role. Yeah. And the, uh, the mayor's character was also voiced by Robert Rodriguez. So another scenario where you've got uh, someone who is, fairly relevant to star Wars in terms of Rod, Rod, Rodriguez being the, the director of that first episode. Uh, you know, he again, finds himself working his way into an episode as the voice of a character. Right. Hey, that's good. That's cool. I didn't know that that was one I didn't know. So, yeah. uh, that makes sense. Why not? And, uh, I'm sure it's not the last we'll see of him too. I am positive. Uh, the other great thing about that particular scenario, certainly, uh, Boba ends up making another a visit back to Madame Garza's establishment. Uh, we get to see some kind of classic Star Wars characters. There's a Chandra fan uh, character, which is kind of the little uh, large-eared pig-nosed creature, uh, and some other characters kind of in that cantina area. Uh, but as he is in there dealing with Madame Garza, we get the booming of a drum, and uh, Boba ends up kind of leaving that cantina to go out and find what the the ruckus is all about and we get to see some huts back on screen for the first time in quite a long time yeah the twins apparently they didn't look exactly alike to me but i'll take that uh, for maybe they're not identical twins well obviously they're not because there's one's a female one's a male but uh it was interesting to see some huts and of course being carried around on a litter of course uh, unlike boba fett (laughs) yeah my first thought when they uh when they brought the twins into view on that huge palanquin uh was that there's no way that few people are carrying those two (laughs) enormous blobs plus you know the the entire platform that they're on as well 
it's all water weight, so it's not yeah. really as heavy as it looks. That's the you know that's the thing about it. So that's always um, my line. So yeah. <laughs> I did love that they had uh, the the male of the two cousins mopping his sweat with another of those Tatooine rats, uh, yeah. which which looked almost more like a gerbil or a hamster. Uh, but yeah, the thing's trying to bite him because it's so upset at it uh, at him for using him that way. So it was uh, it was a pretty funny scene. Uh, certainly, you know, Boba not backing down at the threats of these these two huts. Uh, who are known to be fierce crime lords and certainly dangerous to cross. Uh, but they also have another kind of ace up their sleeve. And when the black Wookiee character uh, showed up on screen, I about came out of my chair uh, because while I'm not a huge comic fan, I was able immediately to recognize that that was uh, black Kersantan, uh, who is a Wookiee bounty hunter and kind of a, a, one of the fearsome creatures that Jabba would also have hunting down bounties in addition to Boba Fett. Yeah, I don't know his backstory and I didn't know his name, but I recognized him for sure that I'd seen him someplace along the line. And I, I was like, oh, this is going to be a callback. I knew you would know yeah. right off the bat who it was. Um, but I, I found, yeah, and again, another character that is fascinating and uh, I'm sure we're going to revisit a few times at least in the in the future. Yeah, I remember him from the Darth Vader comics, which I had uh, read back when we were kind of covering some of that stuff in one of the previous seasons of Jedi Temple Archives, but um, I have not read a lot of the Dr. Afra comics, and I know that that is another place where he shows up pretty heavily, but he definitely has a relationship with Boba since they were both hunting down bounties for Jabba, and uh, you know he's, he's had crossings with other characters, Obi-Wan, uh, Han Solo, and Chewbacca, certainly throughout this series of comics and in some of his backstory, so he is kind of a, a major character, and I thought he just looked absolutely awesome. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen another Wookiee that that stands out as being a cool character like Chewbacca does you know in in Solo uh, so many of them kind of look like rejected costumes from Planet of the Apes almost um, that it, you know it was just it was it's been a long time since I've seen that imposing a Wookiee character on screen not since Itchy in the of course uh, the of course Star Wars holiday special absolutely absolutely so yeah <laughs> no, we would was, definitely I agree with you Definitely encourage everyone to go out there and rewatch that uh, Star Wars holiday special. It is, no, it's just good entertainment. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I was, I was fairly impressed with him. I was, I was actually hoping we were going to see a little more of him in action, but I think right. it was just more of a, hey, here he is. Look, the, the, this character's here. Now you're going to want to go and if you don't know who this character is, you're going to go want to research him because um, there, there's going to be more to come for him for sure. But very imposing. Uh, and um, it's, it's, it's exciting. All the, it's so interesting to see all these, pieces being put in place of you know all these different possible threats for 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 boba all these pe people that could be pushing in to try and you know end his reign there essentially or whatever you want to call it and i i i love it i i'm, I'm fascinating in how this story is going to twist and turn yeah they would be out of their mind not to use that uh that character uh further in this series um and, and again i i feel almost like I need to go and, and read some of the Dr. Afra comics because I've seen uh, 
people alluding to the fact that they think that that character is going to play into this series somehow. And I just don't know enough about her uh, to really understand. I, she was also a character that got referenced a little bit in the Darth Vader comics, but much beyond that, I don't know a whole lot about her. So uh, looking forward to kind of seeing what they come out with, uh, with regard to black Kersantan and whether he you know, is featured further in these episodes, but uh, really the entire rest of the episode. So that that's probably what the first, 15, 20 minutes uh, of the episode. And then from there on, all the way up through almost an hour of this episode, uh, we get to we get to see another series of flashbacks. And again, there's, I think, a lot of symbolism that, that plays out through this portion of the episode. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, how he kind of is building himself back up, earning the respect of the Tuscans, but also building himself, almost, you know, giving himself the strength uh, again of, of, of being this, um, I don't know, the, you know, uh, not a warrior, but I guess a warrior. I don't know, but I, I feel like it's, it's showing him building back up to being a new creature, a new person, a new human being, a new, well, I don't know. Is he human? I guess he's human. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. A new Boba Fett. I'm going to keep going back to that one. Yeah. And certainly, you know, he, as a bounty hunter and as, as a guy that's walking around the, uh, the universe wearing Mandalorian armor and all of the various weaponry that that entails, uh, certainly he would be the, exactly the type of person who you would think that when he comes up against the new fighting style that he is, uh, prone to, to being taken advantage of with. And certainly he was in, in episode one, that black robe Tuscan, uh, really kind of had their way with him. He is in this episode, basically put himself as a student under that that very warrior and she is uh basically teaching him the hard way uh how to fight like a tuscan with a gaffy stick and you get to see kind of some of that progression from boba in this in this episode yeah the hard way but also with respect you know and knowing that obviously he is wanting to learn and she realizes he's wanting to learn and so it was you know the teacher you've you've seen it in many you know you can go back to many um karate or kung fu movies mm-hmm. or whatever and you know a lot of times the student has to have their butt kicked by the teacher you know to kind of learn these lessons and yet boba is like you know taking it on it's like yeah show me more show me how to do this i want to know and uh, the respect uh, respect earned on both sides through that and obviously becomes very proficient at it Certainly. Yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of leads up to, uh, to some reveals later in the episode as well. But during this period of time where, uh, where Boba is kind of rebuilding himself and, and assimilating with the tribe, one of the things that we see is that, uh, that bullet train kind of coming through the desert. And one of the things that jumps out, you know, that, that rocket that is essentially, uh, adhered to the top of that bullet train. Uh, I think that was like an old pod racing engine is what it looked like to me. And certainly that sound, uh, is what you see every time it would boost, Um, but when the train was coming through the first time, the Tuscans all hear that sound and, uh, basically take battle positions because they know that they're going to have to, uh, have a shot at taking this thing down, hiding behind their Banthas, which I thought was, uh, was funny. A number of Banthas died in this episode, uh, being used as cannon fodder, but, um, the first time that bullet train went by and I saw those windows open up and the rifles come out and they started shooting back at the Tuscans. I looked at my wife and I was like, was that a pike? Yeah. 
And lo and behold, this bullet train is full of pikes running spice across the sands of Tatooine, which I, I'm guessing would not have happened when Jabba was in control. No, no. Obviously doing something a little different, trying to take advantage of the situation. Uh, who knows if Bib Fortuna allowed it or if this is something brand new uh, over the, you know, the recent period but yeah i said the same thing i'm like oh it's the pike syndicate wow you know because we we've seen them in live action but you know mostly just a single character here or there it hasn't we haven't really seen them in mass so i was like kind of excited that we're going to see more from the pike syndicate yeah we got a little bit of them in uh, clone war season seven as well uh certainly some differences in the way they look in the animated series versus live action but Definitely a cool, uh, cool group. If you want to know more about the Pikes, we have done an episode on them. So just look that up in our library. Uh, but uh, kind of moving on, the uh, swoop gang that Boba sees uh, cruising across the desert sands of Tatooine there. And, you know, swoops are essentially a different version of a speeder bike. Um, they tend to have uh, kind of a, a more relaxed seating style as opposed to uh, the speeder bikes where you're kind of more upright and leaning forward over the handlebars. These are more like your Sons of, Anar Sons, uh, Sons of Anarchy version of a speeder bike. Yeah, the chopper version, right, you know, right. like the handlebars up above your shoulders. And yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what they always remind me of as well. Uh, going back just to the Pike Syndicate really sure, quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I may, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I don't remember ever seeing them with their masks off before. And yet this is the, we, the, we see many of them with their masks off uh, near the end of this episode. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, in the animated series, they, you know, they've got the mask. It's almost more like a, a cowl that comes down maybe the first two thirds of the top portion of their face. But their their main portion of their face kind of sticks out the front. Um, but in the in the live action, it's always been just kind of the metal mask. Um, their entire being is is stuffed within that cowl and then the mask on front. And so you're right. I don't think we have seen uh, their faces. They kind of look like a, some sort of bizarre alien catfish more than the snake yeah. people that they're uh, kind of portrayed as within the animated series. So again, there's some differences there, but uh, certainly they're known to be fairly ruthless. Um, it's a crime syndicate, so it fits right in with what we see on Tatooine all too often uh, and certainly running spice. Uh, that's what you'd expect. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, that anyways, what what spice? We we don't have spice. What are you <laughs> exactly. talking about? The Delta thing. What does spice, spice look like? It looks like that. Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Again, always innocent. Uh, but uh, certainly, you know, when, when Boba sees that swoop gang, that kind of triggers in his brain a way to deal with that bullet train. Uh, and that port, this portion of the episode where, you know, Boba kind of sets off to acquire the swoop bikes, uh, before, we, before we get into, uh, you know, the hilarity that ensues as he teaches the Tuscans to actually use these things, we get a really awesome scene that is a huge deep cut to uh, OT Star Wars fans, and that is Boba tracking down this biker gang who just so happened to be hanging out at Tashi Station, uh, and uh, you're able to determine that there is a deleted scene out on, you can find it out on YouTube now, uh, where Luke and Big Stark Lighter uh, are at Taji station meeting up with Luke's friends, Cammy and fixer. Uh, apparently he was headed there to get his power converters and actually made it in this deleted scene. Uh, and if you look at the inside of Tashi station, that was 
absolutely recreated in detail for this scene. The windows are the same. The terminal where they're, you see the, uh, the Nikto bikers uh, kind of playing what appears to be some sort of game uh, is there. And it is just absolutely Tashi Station down to a T. We have to go back and see that deleted scene again because I haven't seen it. Gosh, it's got to be more than a decade oh, now yeah. since I last watched it. So I will have to check it out again. But uh, I remember you brought that up when we were kind of just texting this morning and I hadn't put two and two together. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. I can't wait to check it out again when I rewatch the episode. I just happened to catch the names of uh, Cami and Fixer in the credits. Uh, at the end of the episode there. And I was like, wait a minute. And uh, when I went back and took a look at that, and then I happened to play that deleted scene. And I mean, the wall textures, it's, it is spot on to a T. It's one of the things that makes uh, these new live action series for Star Wars so cool uh, because it's not necessary to enjoy the episode to pick up on things like that. But if you do pick up on them, you just realize the detail that uh, that Filoni and Favreau put into these episodes that doesn't have to be there. Uh, most people, the vast majority of people would never catch on to it uh, or realize the importance of it, but they're still going through the process of setting up these sets uh, or, you know, programming this stuff into um, the volume, which is kind of that digital soundstage that they record a lot of this stuff on. Uh, and, and it's just because they want to be as accurate to the content that they're dealing with as they possibly can. Well, it just shows you what fans, uh, Filoni and Favreau, are of Star Wars. You know, the fact that they, they and we've seen this uh, when we've done, uh, when we've watched uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, when they've spoken about it and how much they love putting in these little Easter eggs, you know, that, yeah. you know, some people will get, some people won't, but it's just kind of fun for them to drop them in there and then hear somebody acting, oh, 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 I remember that thing. And it's, and, and that's just a lot of fun. I'm glad they're having fun when they're making these series. And it's, it's fun for the viewer as well, especially Star Wars fans like ourselves absolutely uh and clearly it's been fun for tamara morrison i mean this episode you get to see several aspects of his character uh and kind of him expressing himself through boba when he comes back with these stolen speeder or swoop bikes uh you know immediately the tuscans rush out and are just like jawas they start trying to strip him and he's like no 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 those are mine uh but then not long after that is he's trying to teach him how to ride i mean he's bouncing up and down on the seat of this swoop with this doofy look on his face uh it made me chuckle. You could just clearly see that he was having a blast playing uh, this particular role. And you got to give it to the guy. I mean, he is in literally every scene of this show. Uh, and a lot of this acting is incredibly physical uh, and physically demanding. And he is just eating this stuff up. Yeah, he's doing a fantastic job. I'm, I'm buying it in every single scene that he's in, um, no matter what his um sort of mood his emotion uh, his uh, you know what kind of danger he's in um I, i'm buying it and you know that's a credit to him that you know he completely has sold himself as this character uh absolutely i i do have to add in uh going back for just a second to the tashi station station scene i did make a comment to uh to the group this morning uh including pat that uh that 
apparently, you know, Tashi Station, while it had previously been a garage, had now been turned into a, a small cantina. And Pat's assertion is that I'm absolutely wrong. It was always a cantina. And uh, power converters were just a beverage that you could get there. So uh, I stand corrected. He's probably correct uh, that uh, that Luke really wanted to go tie one on. Uh, and that's probably why Uncle Owen put the kibosh on that. I think I might have to create the power converter for the Disney dishes block. I think at some that's point. a great idea. And uh, they should maybe bring it. I, to... Maybe I'll get my substitute bartender to do that for me. Who could that be? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I stand ready and um, I'll start working on that right away. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be, uh, that'll be for Pat's next birthday. So uh, yeah. So getting back to uh, kind of the, the train heist scenario here, uh, we also get a really funny uh, kind of offhand reference to something we know from the OT, which is uh, the, the scene where Luke leaps off the back of the speeder bike onto the, the bike of the scout trooper. Uh, and we see Boba having to teach the Tuscan Raiders to do this kind of right from scratch. So apparently it's not something that everyone can do. Uh, and it's, uh, it's pretty much addressed from a hilarious standpoint. We see a lot of gaffes by the, the Tuscan Raiders. And, um, you know, I know the gaffy stick, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't an attempted pun, uh, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of fails before the Tuscan Raider warrior finally gets that down. That whole scene, they just needed some uh, hokey 80s music playing in the background because it's a total montage, you know, of training these Tuscans to, one, ride these swoop bikes, but then also make these leaps. And, you know, the, the, there's always, whenever you've had these 80s movies or whatever, there's always these falls and these foibles and everything. And um, it, it was it was really entertaining to to watch, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, you can imagine how the, the train scene plays plays out. Uh, they pull off the heist. And as you mentioned, there's some funny moments there at the end when the Pikes are kind of having the law laid down to them, uh, by Boba with regard to what's going to be required of them in the future. Uh, so this is kind of the beginning of him kind of setting up this expectation. He's already dealt with the huts that think they're going to come in and just pick up right where Jabba left off. Uh, I think we can assume that, that Bib Fortuna was probably acting as some sort of a proxy for the huts uh, prior to the, the cousins being ready to, uh, to move in and take over Jabba's palace. But he's dealing with threats from the hut families. He's dealing with threats from uh, some of the swoop gangs on the planet, the indigenous people and the Tuscans. And uh, now he's kind of got the the Pikes in a position where uh, they've got some reasons to be a little upset at him. Uh, so he's certainly uh, gathering enemies right and left. And it's going to be a question of how that's going to play into the rest of the season. Sure. And also it might, uh, you know, show a little bit of how, why he decided that this is where I need to go next, what I need to do next uh, once he, you know, flew off and helped uh, Din Djarin go and save Grogu, yeah. you know, uh, that was after that where he, you know, decides to go back or maybe he'd already decided to go back to Tatooine and, and take back uh, or take that chair from Bib Fortuna. Maybe, you know, some of these things that he's witnessing and seeing the way people are treated, seeing what's going on on Tatooine, maybe I need to go and, and you know, show 
how things could be done in a better way, in a more civilized way. I don't know. We may learn more about that, but this could be one of those first steps uh, towards something along those lines. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Uh, certainly the success of the train heist is what leads to the Tuscans really embracing Boba as a full member of their tribe. And uh, one one little aside, the communication of Boba with the tribe, it's kind of cool that they use that same type of sign language that we saw uh, Din Djarin using in The Mandalorian. Uh, that seems to be what Boba is also leveraging to communicate with the tribe. And uh so that's another tie-in between the two series. Yeah, um, and, and that he was able to, I, I don't know if he knew it going in or that he was able to pick it up so quickly. Um, I got to assume he had some knowledge of it ahead of time or he's just a really fast learner because <laughs> right. he was able to communicate them pretty quickly or yeah. some time is, is, has gone, uh, you know, that we we didn't know about. But uh, either way, it, it is, again, it, interesting tie into how they're comparing in both series the Tuscans to kind of Native Americans. Yeah, completely. Uh and so we this at this point we really get to see some serious symbolism as the uh the tribe basically wants to send him on what it what equates to probably a Native American vision quest. Um mm -hmm. which uh Certainly some hallucinogenic powder is splashed in his face, but first they give him a gift of uh, apparently the Geico spokesperson. Yeah, who knew that Geico uh, Gecko would be so is so potent in you know and maybe he should appear at a couple Grateful Dead concerts or something <laughs> because uh, he has some he has some interesting powers for sure. He certainly does, and, and you know when uh, when the lizard kind of snakes up his nose there. Uh, it kind of was a little bit of a flashback to the uh, whatever the earwigs were that uh, that Khan put in the uh, the ears of the the uh, captain and and the captives there and the wrath of Khan. So certainly things climbing into your ear, nose, mouth hole uh, would be an uncomfortable experience. And uh, I think that was kind of a a real moment of cinema there for this episode. Yeah, it was, it had me grimace a little bit there. That, that I could kind of almost feel it, which was not necessarily a good feeling. <laughs> um, but I, I, thought, I think I swallowed it. You know? Right, right. Uh, it was pretty funny. And then all of a sudden, woo! things got a little weird. It got seriously, and, uh, seriously trippy. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't even want to get into all the symbolism of of everything that was going on there. Certainly, uh, Boba having the tree kind of uh, grasp him was very reminiscent of the Sarlacc, and and then he actually has flashbacks to being in the the gullet of the Sarlacc as well. Uh, and in his attempt to break free, he actually comes free with that branch from this particular tree. Um, what other things did you pick up on in that particular scene that that really jumped out at you? Well, I just thought, you know, yes, uh, having to break free from these bonds or whatever. And I think that I, I mentioned that was something as I saw as symbolism in episode one. I see it here, too. You know, how he feels restrained by this tree, by the Sarlacc, um, by these various things. He has uh, some flashes of, I believe he has a flash of... Uh, of the ship of Slave One yeah. kind of uh, leaving him like his father basically leaving him. So he needed to break free of losing his father essentially during mm -hmm. that scene. Um, and that kind of leads him to breaking free from these, from these trees that grasp him 
from the Sarlacc, from the binds that were tying him back earlier and freeing him into this new person. Yeah. I mean, I almost, I almost uh, pictured when he watched slave one flying away, it seemed to be very much the age that he was uh, during that same period in attack of the clones. So I figured that was uh, Django going off to fulfill the contract on the life of Padme on Coruscant kind of shortly before we get to meet Django as Obi-Wan uh, gets there to um to Camino. So uh it definitely looked to be the right time frame. And I think the other thing that seems to dawn on him in that particular moment is that, you know, that life of a bounty hunter, it's a very uh solo lifestyle. Uh you basically don't really have anyone to rely on but yourself. Uh and it kind of is the moment where he comes to the understanding that he's going to need people around him uh if he's going to do more than just kind of die as a as an individual somewhere in the sands of Tatooine or somewhere else in the galaxy uh he decides that he really wants to have more to his life and that that it's going to take more uh than that solo life of a bounty hunter if he wants to you know have a long life yeah very much so and we've seen that play out uh so far uh through these first couple episodes and I, I agree with you when you when you see Django flying away and you can take it how you want you can take it him being left alone for whether it's just his father going off without him to do missions or his father being taken from him at an early age, essentially, you know, and not having him in his life and feeling like he needed to uh, be out there as this, you know, lone bounty hunter doing things only for himself for so long. Um, but either way, I, I agree with you. I, he's obviously um, been enlightened from, from, many of these reasons that, you know, having people by my side is not necessarily a terrible thing. Yeah. The other thing that kind of jumps out at me in that montage is that he flashes back to the the shot of him picking up the helmet in the arena there on Geonosis, Django's helmet. Uh, and then this one shows kind of a, a close up look of what the reflection in that helmet is as he's looking at it and it's his own face which is the face of his father uh and it's kind of like a, a wake-up call to him that uh if he doesn't if, if he makes the same mistakes that his father made then he's headed down a dark path and it kind of dovetails into that same scene in empire strikes back where luke finds vader in that dark side cave and uh when the the faceplate of that helmet explodes luke finds his own face in there kind of if you follow the same path as your father uh then you're doomed and you're going to to leave lead either a life of darkness or you know uh, an early death Right. It's interesting because if you go back to episode one, they showed the same scene and yep. he picks up the helmet and you see a little bit of a reflection of young Boba right. in it as well. Almost like, okay, this is my life now. I need to don this mask and take over this role. But I, I agree with you. I think it's fascinating to think about that. Yeah, this is how I'm going to end up just like Django did if I keep following the path that I've been for the last you know, 30, 40 years, whatever it has been. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we get to see next is he comes back from this vision quest. And I, I love that when the lizard kind of crawls back out of his nose and jumps back in the basket, he's like, I thought that was part of the dream. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I would hope that's part of the dream. <laughs> What were you doing in there for all that time? I don't want to know. It's a total flashback to uh, when Neo has the bug removed from his navel uh, in the Matrix film. That thing's real. Right. 
Right. That's a good point. I didn't, I didn't pinpoint that. I haven't seen the matrix in a long time, but that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at this point he is being fully initiated into the tribe. And, uh, one of the things, obviously you see that, you see that stick that he comes back with and you're like, mm, that's got a fairly gaffy stick shape to it. So you get to see him craft his own gaffy stick, uh, which I thought was a, another montage that they did that was just awesome. Uh, I know some people liked it more than others, but uh, you know this is this is a, a symbol of his place in the tribe as a warrior um, and uh, as someone who was accepted as an equal and and not just the slave that he started out as. I find it. I found it personally a, a fascinating comparison to what uh, a young Jedi goes through, and the fact that, you know, starting with the vision quest that he went through, you know, young Jedi have to go out and uh, find that Kyber crystal, the right Kyber crystal for them, and sometimes they have to face uh, several challenges to to be able to uh, overcome to get that crystal, and then come, part of it is coming back and building your own lightsaber essentially using that kyber crystal so you know finding uh this you know going through this quest you know going through and 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 getting through this challenge and then coming back with this piece from it and then crafting that into what will eventually be my symbolic weapon or whatever. I, I, right. I, just, I don't know if I'm again, reading too much into this, but I just kind of found it interesting to compare the two things at that moment. Yeah. I don't think you're reading too much into it at all. Uh, you know, it's one thing for them to present him with a weapon, but the fact that he actually had to go through and make it, uh, with his own hands and you know he was essentially trained by what would be the Tuscan version of an armorer uh, or a weaponsmith to you know do each step of this process right down to the the specific carving and then uh, you know the fire the forging of this within the fire which is also symbolic for kind of his uh, path with the Tuscans uh, and really everything since his extraction or his escape from the Sarlacc pit um, you know he's been reforged as a new individual so it's very symbolic of both, uh, you know, his reforging as well as the forging of this weapon. Yeah, agreed. That's a that's a really really good point. Yeah. So overall, uh, you know, by the by the time we get to the end of this episode, we have a lot deeper insight into kind of what. Uh, Boba's life was like in this period of time uh, and it leads up to them garbing him in a set of black robes uh, which I think when I look at everything that we've seen up until this point the only other Tuscan that I have seen that is wearing black is this female mysterious female warrior and I wonder if uh, if that black clothing is an indication of an outsider that somehow has been accepted into the tribe. Could be a really, that's a really good point. I was, you know, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking more along the lines of now, this is kind of the Boba we saw on that uh, first scene where he kind of makes his appearance at the end of episode one of season yeah. two of the Mandalorian. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, there he is. That's his, this is how we got to kind of that point. There are maybe some more steps involved for here, but uh, yeah. Interesting. You're, you, could be right because I do feel that there's something else going on with that uh, that female Tuscan yeah. or whether she's actually a Tuscan or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, again, the uh, the typical colors of the Tuscans are the browns and the tans that are going to blend into the desert. So to see that Tuscan warrior in all black, you know, certainly it, it worked great for nighttime raids and things along those lines. But uh, you don't really get to see a lot of Tuscans wearing black, and maybe it's just the the subset of Tuscans that we've seen. It just hasn't been. Uh, 
not something that's been featured, but now the only two people that I've seen uh, as part of this Tuscan tribe are Boba and and this female warrior. And uh, the fact that they're both in black, I, I just am curious to see if there's more to it than than what meets the eye. Yeah, I feel we're going to find out. I, I, I do believe there's something to that and uh, i'm excited to find out uh, where it leads absolutely so yeah that'll uh, pretty much wrap it for our review of the first two episodes of book of boba fett i'm looking forward to see where they go with this i know with five episodes to go uh you know there's still a lot that they can do and it remains to be seen whether this is going to be more than just one season or if it's just something to tie together a couple of streams of shows but uh, whatever it is, I think that there's a lot of action and uh, a lot of interesting tie-ins to both some deep cuts within previous Star Wars lore as well as kind of fleshing out some of these new characters. And uh, I'm really hoping that we see uh, Black Kirstanen, uh make a, another appearance, uh, Kersantan, sorry, uh, make another appearance within this series. I can't imagine. You don't drop that out there without no. it becoming something significant for at least an episode, if not several. So I, I, I do believe that we will definitely see much more of that character. Very cool. So, yeah, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you and Michelle on the Hyperion Adventures podcast? Sure, thanks. And again, uh, it's so nice to be back here uh, in the Jedi Temple archives. One, just, just to be in enjoying talking star wars with you you know how much i uh really like to do that and it's it's just a lot of fun so thanks for you know getting it back going and uh thanks for welcoming me back and if you want to hear the podcast i do with my wife it's called the hyperion adventures podcast we talk mostly about disney we talk about the parks we talk about the cruise line um however we do talk star wars from time to time on there as well as a matter of fact just a few weeks back we had rob and his lovely wife kim as well as pat and charles from the conversations podcast come on and we played a little star wars this and that uh <laughs> mashup with disney parks that michelle hosted which was um some fun but if you ever want to catch any of our episodes you can find us um pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast uh but the best place to find us is on our own website hyperionadventurespodcast.com if you're looking for us on social media we're on twitter at hyperion podcast facebook instagram and pinterest at hyperion adventures podcast and we do have a youtube channel uh, you can just do a search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast and hit subscribe, and you'll know whenever we have a new video there. Yeah, definitely check them out. Uh, you guys were, uh, you made it on a, a top 10 uh, Disney podcast list for 2021. Uh, I thought that was super cool to see you guys get some respect. Uh, you guys put a ton of great content out there and certainly have been doing this every week for even going back before I started this podcast, which wouldn't have happened without your encouragement. So uh, definitely check out Tom and Michelle in the Hyperion Adventures podcast. If you want to find us, uh, easiest place to find us is jtapodcast.com. If you want to reach out to us, you can certainly do that at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And we are on socials at jtapodcast. So check us out there. Tom, we will be talking again very soon. Uh, looking forward to doing a lot more episodes with you in 2022. It's strange to say 2022 at this point but uh yeah i'm sure we're gonna have a lot more great content coming out this year and a lot more to talk about so thank you yeah. so much 
looking forward to it. Uh, on, you know, Book of Boba Fett. There's some other Star Wars series that are getting ready to drop here, hopefully sometime this year. No dates yet, but keeping our fingers crossed. But I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about either way. Absolutely. So uh, for the rest of you, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to us. Definitely reach out if you want to talk any Star Wars uh, or if you have ideas for future shows, things you want to hear about. And uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap it. You guys all have a great week and may the force be with you.